Welcome back to another episode of In Swine Versation, Thriving and Continued Education in the Swine Industry with Victoria Wilson. Welcome to the program, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. I know lots of career changes on your end, but let's start with how you got involved in the swine industry. Tell me about growing up, your journey, how you got here. Of course. So I actually didn't grow up in the swine industry per se. Um, I was in animal agriculture though. Um, I rode horses and was involved in rodeo. Um, over the summers, I helped producers work cattle when I was in high school. And so that was my avenue towards animal sciences. Um, I grew up in a suburb of St. Louis, so I saw more concrete than pasture, um, but I wasn't far from a cornfield by any means. So when I went to, decided to go to college, I wanted to go study a bachelor's of animal science at Mizzou because it was an in-state tuition decision for me, essentially. And uh, I went there and started into reproduction um, and nutrition with equine and cattle. Um, I went and did an AI school with cattle. I did a couple internships over the summer, and I thought that's exactly what I was going to do. Um, and then by the time I got to my second year, my academic advisor had set, like challenged me to do a class that was a species I hadn't been familiar with or worked with before. So I took a swine production class and a nutrition class together like at the same time, and then it all just started making sense to me. <laughs> Um, and then the further I went into learning how impactful um, on a worldwide scale the swine industry was, um, it took my interest further into being a part of something larger um, than what I was just small scope looking at when I first got there. So that was, that's kind of how I got there. So it's been, been a journey. Now you have a Bachelor of Science from the University of Missouri and then achieved a Master of Science from Iowa State. We'll get to what you're doing currently a little bit later on, but did education help you to find the path or did it set you up on the path? Both, I think. Um, so clearly my going, just going to school um, kind of helped me choose that path. Um, and then as I took more courses and learned more about the industry, it started to define it more for me. Um, I really liked the opportunities I had at Mizzou because I could do small, like small production internships with local farmers in the Missouri, like around the Mizzou area, on the Columbia, Missouri area. But I was also able to go do small internships with people like Smithfield, the mash-offs, and um, see on a larger scale what it's about. And I think those opportunities really helped me like confirm like this is the direction I want to go. Um, so I'd say it influenced there. And then obviously I ended up at Iowa State for a master's in swine nutrition. So can you talk about your master's work and some of the research you've done? Yeah. So um, up at Iowa State, I was under doctors Brian Kerr and Laura Greiner. Um, Brian Kerr works for the USDA and he's adjunct faculty at Iowa State or Laura Greiner is um, full faculty at Iowa State. So I had the best of both worlds and I like to call it. Um, Laura was more of the applied full professor academic help where Brian was more of the research ideas that bounce off the wall and very can be very basic science, but applied in some way. 
Um, I ended up going with the route of oxidative stress with Brian, and we worked on um, enteric inducers of oxidative stress on the nursery pig. So I had three different challenges I looked at, which was uh, oxidized protein, uh, mycotoxins, and then uh, peroxidized soy oil, um, and the effects on intestinal integrity, development, um, growth, and the nursery pigs. Um, we try to make it as legitimate challenges as we possibly could. So you can always have a peroxidized oil, mycotoxins are a legitimate threat. And then the ideal behind oxidized protein was storage or damage during shipping. Um, but all of that put together, there wasn't much that we found with it. Um, and the effects of actually consuming those challenges. Um, I think with the oil, we saw the most res largest response, I would say, because um, and it had the most supporting research with it. So that's my main focus when I entered my master's was oxidative stress and answering the problem of oxidative stress. But at the end of it, Dr. Kerr asked me, he said, so what's your in conclusion thought of oxidative stress? I looked at him and I laughed because at that point I had finished my thesis and was like, nothing happened. And um, like in conclusion, and I was like, I don't think it's oxidative stress we need to be chasing. It's the things that cause oxidative stress and be more proactive than reactive. Um, because oxidative stress is always caused by something. It's a reaction. So therefore, maybe focusing on the disease threat or the feed challenge or whatever it is that could cause it versus trying to answer what it like the actual active reaction of oxidative stress. So that was always fun. That was a fun time. Looking more at the root of why this is happening. Yeah. And through the journey through education, what did you learn most about yourself? Don't give up. Stay, stay at it. Um, I think just in reality, it, it teaches you how tough you are. Grad school is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> so from from there, you, you got a great job, a feed mill coordinator at Seaboard. So what was it like working for one of the largest companies in North America and in the swine industry? Crazy. It was eye-opening, I will say. Um, I could not have told you how impactful one company could be until I was involved. Um, and actually saw an integrated company. Um, my small role um, in Seaboard, so I was a feed mill coordinator. There's a feed mill coordinator at each of their eight mills. Um, but I specifically did a little bit more or my job looked a little bit different than the other feed mill coordinators at the other mills. Um, I usually... Um, received ingredients and did like ingredient quality testing. So we have your corn moisture and then you do mycotoxin testing. And then we also had um, complete feed and IR scanning. Um, and then we also did particle sizing and PDI work, um, mostly all around like quality, um, just checking where we're at with things so we can make adjustments and give that back to the feed bill managers. Um, that was the very basics. But then you take it a step further to 
ingredient ordering with production, um, analyzing maybe our daily like review of reports of overages um, on like formula discrepancies and things of that nature and see if there's any trends that we need to address. Um, and then I also got to work with farm managers on feed ordering, um, staying within budgets for the uh, like their production cycle um, and then helping them with any of their issues that they have with feed or feeding or outages and things like that. So what made each coordinator job a little different that you mentioned? Yeah. So I was the so usually at other mills, they have somebody specifically for the ingredients, someone specifically for um, feed ordering. And then usually someone who does more of the paperwork side of like reports and daily reviewing where I was combined all into one in a way, um, which was fun because I like a challenge and I like to time manage. So it's always fun for me to just challenge myself to see what I can get done in a day in a way. Um, so that I think that mostly was that I that was usually divided into two or three people and I got to be the jack of all trades in that situation. So, you're jack of all trades, multitasker. With all of that, those traits as a feed mill coordinator, did your role evolve at all? Or, yeah, so I think from start to finish, like I obviously didn't jump in all at once. Um, over the year that I was there, I gradually gained responsibilities. Um, I helped out in various different ways. I actually got to help rewrite a couple SOPs for with feed safety. Um, and I got to help and assist with some feed mill safety, like personnel training and things of that nature. So I think I gained more responsibilities as the, like my time went on, but I, if I wanted to do something, if I wanted to be able to maybe go be like a feed mill manager, there was a route that I could take from there. Or if I wanted to go more into the nutrition route, there's a route to take from there also. So. What was most eye-opening? Uh, I think seeing all of the integrated parts, um, like I said earlier, you don't realize the impact until you see it. Um, I thought it was like, I our feed mill personally serviced, I think like 60 to 70 farms. And that we were one of the smallest areas and one of the smaller feed mills in the company. And so when you start thinking numbers, I mean, they're, they're starting out their conversations in the millions and like, it's just inc incredible. So, so incredible to see the large number that you handle. And when they talk about finances or ingredient costs, like it's in the millions. And that I think was the most impactful for me to realize like this scale you were dealing on. So what do you see as the feed mill of the future? Oh, I think moving into the future for feed mills, I think a lot of it's going to come with optimization and then focusing on quality. Um, how do we push production, but also keep our quality? Um, because I've, I noticed um, in different positions in feed mills, um, whether you're at a research feed mill or a production feed mill, production gets put first in most scenarios. Um, and so I think being able to combine quality and pushing that production to new limits 
um, is something that we'll have to figure out eventually to become more efficient. Um, and then optimi like optimization with feed delivery and things of that nature, I think are coming in the near future. So as we discussed at the start of the show, uh, you're, you're back with Kansas State now uh, to get your PhD. So why now? Oh, well, I always knew I wanted a PhD. I just didn't know when I win, I guess, in a way. And I went to industry and I realized that I, one, I missed the research. So <laughs> I was like, I could go back and I could do more research. <laughs> um, that was one big push. But the second push was uh, really just career development. Um, I realized getting to where I wanted to get um, a PhD would be more beneficial and it would help me develop as a scientist and a nutritionist. Um, and then with my newfound like feed mill knowledge, I'll call it, um, just like realizing that there's so much more to nutrition than just formulating a diet and growth performance. Like you have to look at feed manufacturing. And prior to being in the feed mill, I didn't look or consider that, I guess, in the back of my head. But now I do consider feed manufacturing with my nutrition knowledge. And so that's why I'm in the feed science program now. <laughs> so I can combine my nutrition and the feed mill background and hopefully do some research that can be a benefit um, to kind of be a liaison between the feed mill and a nutritionist. So being the liaison, is that the aspiring goal or? Yeah, I think um, it's something that's important to like industry and production. Um, it would be a benefit to have somebody be that liaison between feed manufacturing and nutrition, um, being able to understand both sides. Um, I know at Seaboard, we had somebody that did a really good job at um, Roman Moreno. He was our an, an assistant nutritionist, but he also um, helped the females as much as he could and focused on quality and ingredients. Um, so I think that is something that everybody probably needs. Um, I don't know if every company has one, but uh, um, I think that's an important place. I don't know if that's where I'll end up. Um, I like feed additives and research, but I also like production. So we'll see. Well, the sky's the limit there, whatever you want to aspire to. Now you mentioned something about vitamins. Mm-hmm. So feed additive, animal health vitamins. Yeah. So I have um, a direct interest in vitamins as antioxidants and being able to maybe be an alternative to the antimicrobials um, with the pushing to move away from um, treatments of antibiotics within swine. Um, I think there's opportunity there. Um, when I was in my master's program, um, developing the oxidative stress model and all of that within nature, I was wanting to eventually get to a part where I tested um, different antioxidants or um, vitamins against oxidative stress and intestinal challenges um, to where we could monitor whether or not that could maybe give the same effect as an antibiotic. Um, so <laughs> I have ideas things with that could potentially be looked at with vitamins and antioxidants. Um, and there's plenty of products out there right now that could be looked at and that companies have. So if I could find something that I can really hone in on and be a part of, then I'm game. <laughs>
So why is education important to you? Because you can never stop learning. Um, so education has always been important to me. Um, and I think it was just instilled in me at a very young age because I come from a family of teachers. Um, everybody in my family is a teacher, was a teacher. Um, and uh, it was just instilled that you always learn something, even if it's not in the classroom, like you can always learn. And learning something can look like learning how to do calculus, but it can also be learning how to deal with certain situations with different personalities with people, leadership skills. And that just helps you evolve and become better within your own career or job title or whatever you're doing. Um, you can always learn something from it. So I think with education, like it's always been important to me because I've always felt like the sky's the limit with learning. Like you never know everything and you can always be better. So that's the goal with education is to better yourself. How is it a tool for success? For me, it's a tool for success because um, it's developing my scientific thinking and my capabilities as a researcher or as a scientist nutritionist. Um, I mean, that's what we need. We need the technical education for what we're for what I want to do with tech services or in the, within the industry, like being able to have that critical thinking component. Um, anything you do uh, is beneficial, in my opinion. So if we get to news in the industry, lot, lots of stuff is happening, but we initially wanted one topic that wasn't being covered that you have an opinion on. I think we've got three that I think are great to touch on. Do you want to start with the age experience gap? Yeah. So um, in my opinion and in my experience within the different companies that I've been with or interned with, talked with, um, interacted with, there is a large gap in fresh graduates and retiring age industry people. Um, there's a lot of um, people who are looking for those middle positions that could potentially become the senior positions and moving into where those retirees are. Um, and I know companies are struggling. If you look at job applications right now, they're the job descriptions looking for six to 10 years of experience and they're, they're all over everywhere. Um, there's not a shortage of fresh graduates and there's not a shortage of senior personnel, but there's a gap in that six to 10 to 12 year, um, experience range, I guess. And I've, I've noticed that, and I've talked with actually a couple different people about it that are big move makers and seaboard. And they agree that it's, it's an issue. Like there's people who want to move up, but there's nobody to really replace them. So it kind of goes back to recruiting as well. Do you have any solutions to this or? I don't know. Um, I think one for me when, so when I was getting out of my master's degree, I remember being a fresh graduate and everybody was wanting five years of experience or this, that, and the other thing. And my biggest grumble, I guess, with it was that I was an eager fresh graduate and all I could like ask for was like a technical position to take me in as a junior technical service or junior associate, whatever you want to call it, and then train me to allow me to gain that experience, like kind of like a trainee program. 
Um, you see a lot of like manager training programs for production or feed milling and things of that nature, but maybe like the safety department, they need man, they need people to train into those positions, feed safety, um, nutritionists, like you, like you need those people to move into those positions. Um, so I think potentially setting up maybe a program of training for technical, um, support, um, instead of focusing it mainly on production for the manager trainee programs. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I know point number two about not being born in the industry kind of leads to the experience gap. Cause I do feel like in the swine industry, there's a community of people, but then there's also people getting educations and security, nutrition, marketing, and they don't even think of this industry because they're not in the industry. So maybe we need to target outside the industry. What is your perception from not being born in the industry per se? Yes. So I wasn't born into the industry and I couldn't, I mean, at 18 years old, I didn't think I was going to be involved in the industry. So it wasn't until I was about 20, I think that I was like, aha, this is cool. Um, and I don't, I can't tell you the magic like answer for that. Um, the reason I got involved is because my advisor challenged me to do something different. Um, we all go into college with a, a plan or not a plan. I don't know. Some people, I guess, don't. But I went in with a plan and so it took someone to sit there and say, but why not deviate from the plan? Just once, you know? And so I don't know if that looks like potentially just a, I mean, getting with universities and asking them to diversify their students, challenge them to be in different species. Um, I know at Mizzou, I had to take two or three different species production classes for my senior like electives, I guess. And so that helped me diversify a lot. But I mean, outside of that, like, I don't know that I would have just stumbled upon the swine industry, I guess. That's right. I've heard that from a few people. What about consumer perception? Oh, growing up in an urban area. <laughs> um, so that's, I like to, I like to call it my biggest pet peeve is consumer perception. Um, but in reality, it's probably where my heart lies the most, just because um, I was a rodeo queen back in the couple of years ago. And I took a platform of bridging the gap because I come from an urban area and rodeo is very Western lifestyle, rural community. Um, and I took my agriculture background or knowledge and I wanted to take it to the city and educate people at grocery stores. I actually had a really nice, cool experience at a food pantry where I got to sit there and just talk to people of like urban culture. And they were like, well, why do you do this? What's the benefit to that? Um, but you, nobody's just going to ask the questions. Like you have to entice them. You have to get them to ask you the questions. And I think that's where we maybe fail as an industry is we have all these educational and promotional um, tools that are at our fingertips, like tons of them. I mean, pork board and um, check off and all of them do a fantastic job of having educational materials, but 
nobody just goes and Googles it. Like nobody just looks for it. So I think maybe taking that knowledge to the city or taking it to the grocery store or something, like do it where you get involved with like a chain, like grocery chains in St. Louis, where I'm from, you can go stand there and ask at the like meat counter and be like, do you know what animal that comes from? And they're, they're going to shake their head and be like, no. And so that's where the conversation starts. It's showing them that they there's something they don't know because you don't know until you don't know. That's my favorite thing to say. Um, and so I think taking the knowledge to them instead of asking them to come find it, because sometimes people don't know they're hungry for the knowledge until they start to get a glimpse of it. And then one question starts to the next. And all of a sudden now they are looking for the information. Um, I think the prime example is when people talk about the smell of a hog barn or, um, oh, it affects our water. And it's just like, but does it like, do you, do you understand the regulations and the things that we put in place to make sure we aren't being harmful to our environment, to, to people, to things that are resources that we're using. Um, and it's just all about the matter of educating them. And I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's easy for people to say, you know, this will affect the water, but like you, you mentioned, how do we educate people to understand there's practices, procedures, it's very strict. And can we change that perception, Victoria? I can. I, I honestly think it's going to take, um, I think it's going to take mutual respect within the communities. Um, if you walked into the city, St. Louis, and you go to, I don't know, the grocery store and you turn and you walk up to somebody and you're like, I'm from such and such County. I'm a pork producer. Um, I want to know what, what do you look for in your pork steak or pork chop or pork loin, whatever yeah. they're going to say, Oh, like, I just want it to be like colorful, tasty. And Obviously, a lot of marketing has to do with a lot of their selection with no antibiotics or natural or, or whatever it is. Um, and then you start to ask them, well, what does natural mean to you? What is natural? Do you know what the natural label even indicates? And like, and then you can go into that where like you're still talking to the people that did you know this comes from a pig? And they're like, really like I don't know when I went so I did I did a little social experiment when I was Miss Rodeo Missouri and I went to a couple of grocery stores and I asked people I was like do you know that this comes from a pig and, and things like that or what do you look for when you're selecting this and a lot of it comes down to just what I've been told like just I'm I how did you learn this information I was told that but they don't understand why or how I guess um so I guess helping them understand I don't know. I feel like I'm getting off track here. <laughs> it's all the same back to continuing education, just so people can definitively know what they're buying, how they can buy it, and then making decisions on why do they like it rather than just because someone told them to, yes. to like it. And it's the same with pork chops is there's certain pork chops in a grocery store that are bland, but then there's certain places that have like a smoky, pork chop that's almost like a nice ham but people don't 
know about that they because we're not marketing it or we're not driving that for forth right so it depends on where you go or who you talk to but if as an industry if we can communicate better to the consumers and create something i think it could go back to what you were talking about and, and changing that perception well i completely agree i really think it's bringing the knowledge to the consumer instead of hoping the not the knowledge finds the consumer or the consumer comes and finds the knowledge i should say yeah, because people are busy, right, to to yeah. to research that. So kind of final question here. What is one thing collectively that each person in our industry can do that could set forth an achievement of collaborate success 25 years from now? The funny answer is eat more pork. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So I thought about this one for a while and I even um converse with my fellow graduate colleagues a little bit on this one because it's a very impactful question and I wanted to give a good beneficial and helpful answer. Um, and I think collectively, um, the one thing that we thought would help to secure our success for the future is understanding who you're serving and um, not being afraid to um, go outside of your comfort zone with it. Um, so say you have a customer and they have a problem, um, but you might not, that might be not, might not be your specialty, but you can still help them. You're, you're a critical thinker, you're a technical person. Like that's something that I think all of us sh shouldn't be afraid of learning outside of our our skill set, I guess, um, being cross-trained in a way. Um, but understanding that that's going to help you serve your customers better in a way, um, even when you're integrated. Um, so the CEO of Seaboard Foods, Peter Brown, um, he used to say on our weekly calls, he, he'd always say, know who your customer is and how to best serve them. So even in an integrated area, like the feed mills customer was our farm manager in the farms, like feeding the pigs where their customer was the processing plant, like understanding their needs and how it relates to what you're doing um, and being able to do that better, even if it's outside of nutrition, even if it's outside the feed mill, um, it will keep us going longer, I think. Well said, Victoria. Thanks for joining us today on In Swine Versation. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciated it.